Welcome into Words with Wallace. I'm your host, Nick Wallace. Coming at you, it's late Monday evening here on April 3rd. I uh, hope you guys are doing well. Uh, if you guys are watching on YouTube, you know I had to show off the new sign in the background, the custom Words with Wallace sign. <laughs> shout out my dad. Uh, shout out my dad, man, for purchasing that. Um, some cool stuff there. And, and I just wanted to take a quick second to be a little mushy, man. It's been uh, we're on what episode eight is this now, but I just wanted to say thank you guys to everybody that's listening. I don't do that enough. Um, uh, you know, it's growing a little bit, you know, the pod we're up to, you know, over 20 subscribers on YouTube or we got over 70 on Instagram that are following. And, um, I can say with confidence, you know, there's, there's literally dozens of us, literally dozens of words with Wallace listeners out there and, uh, appreciate each and every one of you guys. So hopefully, uh, you guys are enjoying it as much as I'm, it's been a lot of fun for me to do this. And so, uh, let's keep this thing rolling because we did have a busy week in the NBA. Um, you know, we had some marquee matchups that I think uh, potentially fell a little bit short of expectations, to be completely honest with you here. Um, and on top of that, I feel like there was a new CBA agreement that kind of stole the show. And uh, most importantly, well, you know, we're, we're sitting here almost exactly one week away from the end of the NBA regular season, actually less than that. So a week, week left of regular season games, a week until the start of the NBA play-in tournament and eventually the NBA playoffs, and we're going to be talking all about that. So, you know, this week, I feel like it fell a little bit short of expectations for me as an NBA fan, just because we had some some marquee matchups that, that didn't quite live up to the hype. Um, first and foremost, I didn't even mention this last week when I was on the pod, because I actually recorded during this game. It was, you know, the Sixers-Nuggets matchup, you know, mainly because of the, the matchup between Jokic and Embiid specifically that could, you know, could have actually swung swung the MVP race. Um, but Embiid ended up not playing in that matchup. This, again, was exactly a week ago last Monday. Um, and Embiid didn't play because of the calf injury. So that was super disappointing. Um, I actually was pretty worried about Embiid's well-being after seeing that he was, you know, actually going to miss that game because of how much um, he clearly cares about the award, clearly, you know, with how much Philadelphia has been campaigning for him the past couple seasons. You know, for him to miss that matchup, I'm like, oh, shit, he must be really banged up. And, you know, he's already back in the lineup for Philly. So, I don't know. I, I think it sucks that, you know, whether it was a load management thing or whatever, the fact that it fell on a matchup with Jokic is interesting. You know, I don't think Embiid would be one to, to dodge Jokic by any means. You know, he totally destroyed Jokic the last time they played earlier in the season. So, Whatever, man. I was looking forward to that. Um, I was looking forward to Bucks Celtics, and uh, that was a matchup earlier in the week that um, didn't disappoint me as a Celtics fan. But it, I, I'm sure it disappointed like the neutral fan. That shit was a total blowout. You know, the Celtics were basically up by like 30 points, maybe even more than that at halftime. It was, you know, it was a total snooze fest by the time that the fourth quarter came around. But an awesome win for the Celtics, nonetheless. And I'm not sure if it's going to be enough for them to, to catch the Bucks as a one seed in the East, but still an encouraging win for uh, two teams that I think that are destined to meet in the Eastern Conference Finals that I've been saying for a while now. Um, and then, of course, we had the return of Kevin Durant, which was pretty awesome and exciting. Um, and, I, again, another matchup that I'd highlighted on an earlier episode was a matchup between the Nuggets and the Suns. And, you know, it was supposed to be one of Durant's first games back. And, um, you know, it was cool to have Durant play, but, you know, the Nuggets were super shorthanded. I mean, they were basically missing everybody. No Jokic. Um, I don't think MPJ played. I don't think Jamal Murray played. I think they were missing some other role players as well. I, I did kind of watch it. It was pretty boring. You know, the Nuggets did keep it competitive for a little bit there, but there was never really a chance of them beating Phoenix in that matchup. So, you know, it was still a fun week of NBA games and, and NBA headlines, but I, some of those marquee matchups fell short, which I was disappointed about. But we did get breaking news. I think it was about two days ago on, on Saturday. Uh, it got 
you know, word was let out that there's a new CBA, uh, collective bargaining agreement um, is what that stands for, for the NBA. And I just wanted to go and, and quickly touch upon what that means, because I think that there are some some pretty exciting changes. I don't know if I'm just a total freaking nerd for being excited about a new <laughs> CBA as just an NBA fan, but whatever. Let's go through this um, and kind of touch upon the biggest talking points of, of what I thought was notable about that agreement. So first and foremost, you know, we had mentioned this again a little bit earlier on the pod, but they officially, in this CBA agreement, I should preface this by saying this goes into effect next season. So for the 23-24 season, this is when all these changes are going to go into effect. So this doesn't affect this year um, or any anything to, to affect the end of the regular season and the awards here. But they did put in place a 65-game minimum requirement for players to be eligible for not only the major awards like MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Most Improved, Rookie of the Year, uh, but they also have this 65-game minimum in place uh, for some of the for the All NBA team selection as well, so that's massive. And again, I talked about this. Or I think I first brought it up with RJ when he was on the pod, and and how I wanted to see this to help combat the load management. And now, granted, this was reported by Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, the goat, the Woj man, the Woj bomb king. Um, this is where I, I went through his article to kind of get his word on this. And he did mention that this 65 game minimum does come with some conditions. Um, I tried to do some research to see if he had any follow-up to that on exactly what those con conditions were be like, you know, I don't know if they're going to separate, you know, a long-term injury or a multi-game injury for somebody that does get really hurt and they end up missing, you know, 22 games. And let's say they're at the 60 mark, like, is there going to be some grace or, or some grief um, that they are offering these players um, if they fall short because they actually have a long-term injury as opposed to, you know, load management, essentially. Like, I don't know if they'll be able to draw that line in the sand. But again, this is something to note that there are some conditions, but this is massive. I mean, this is huge. Like, again, I, I knew that they were going to put something in, in an effect like this for the major awards, but for that to have effect on the All-NBA teams is huge because, as we know, you know, players, for a lot of these players' contract incentives, they... As it's currently constructed, it affects if players are eligible eligible for a super max contract. So the maximum amount of money a team can offer that player is a, is dependent on if they make an All NBA team within I think it's the past two seasons. So that's massive. Like, and I think that players are are really going to care about this. Now, again, if these extra conditions that Woj puts forth basically you know lessens it's not if it's not a hard cutoff at sixty five then you know, maybe this isn't as big of a deal, but assuming that it is, this is going to be massive and players are going to care about this. And um, we'll take a closer look at, you know, I'm going to be doing like my all NBA teams and, and my, um, you know, major award winners on who I would select for those awards, probably on next week's podcast. So when that episode rolls around, what we'll do is we'll take a closer look at, you know, if these, and again, these rules aren't in place till next season, but if these rules were in place for this season, you know, who, who do I have on the list that wouldn't make it or, or vice versa or something like that. Um, so I do, I do want to take a look at how that 65 game minimum does affect, um, you know, some of the top candidates for the awards. Now for the MVP, it wouldn't make a difference for this season, really. Like it's, it's, again, it's a three man race between Jokic and Bede and Giannis. Um, Embiid and, and Jokic have already played in 65 games. Now Giannis does need to play in at least three of the final four games of the season. The Bucks have four games left, to my knowledge, um, and he needs to play in at least three of them to hit that 65-game mark. And so it was pretty surprising to me. Like, I knew Giannis missed some games here and there, but he's not somebody, he's not exactly a poster boy for load management. And even he is, is and as somebody that's 
right there in the MVP race is someone that almost missed that 65 game threshold. So I was expecting it to be around 55 or 60. So um, I'm really impressed by this. I think it's going to make the product a lot better. I think superstars are really going to care about this, both from a financial standpoint and a legacy standpoint for if they are in the conversation for these awards. So um, a huge credit to the NBA uh, for that. Another stipulation and change with this new CBA that affects the All-NBA teams is the fact that a massive change that people have been asking for for years is, um, I believe, as currently constructed, it's it's two front court players, two back court players, and especially a, a reserve for a center spot on who can make these five-man All-NBA teams. Now, as of next year, it's going to be switched to a positionless All-NBA team system. So it's literally going to be just the best. 15 players or the players that had the, the players with the best 15 seasons, because um, again, it is focused just on that season, uh, will be selected on, on the first, second, and third all NBA team. So that's awesome. And I guess the shining example of that is the past couple of years you've had, you know, the battle is between, has been between Jokic and Embiid for MVP. Jokic has won both times, Embiid's been second. But just as an extra slap in the face to Embiid, he doesn't even have any first team all NBAs because he's came, came in second the past two years. Uh, for MVP, but because there's only one center on the All-NBA team, he hasn't made a first-team All-NBA despite being, by all accounts, you know, the second-best player or having the second-best season in the NBA the last two years. So, you know, he's a big winner from all this. I think it's going to be more fair. And, again, we'll take a look at when we do the All-NBA teams next week. We'll see, you know, I'll give you my selections for this year based on the current rules surrounding those positions. And then I'll have to take a look and see if it was positionless, if that would affect who would make these All-NBA teams. So uh, really exciting stuff. I think these are, are, you know, pretty big changes that players – or not players, I suppose, media members in NBA circles have been asking for for a long time just because of how the game is played. Like, you know, Jokic is essentially a point guard, right? You have so many different players that they don't fall in the traditional point guard, shooting guard, small forward, um, you know, type position pool. I I think it makes sense that they're going positionless, and I'm excited to see how this affects, um, you know, the league moving forward and and what those teams look like as soon as next season. Um, Some additional um, points on the CBA agreement. Uh, it does seem like the in-season tournament is coming soon. That's going to happen probably next season. Um, you know, maybe I'm just old school and I've been watching the NBA my my whole life, and and maybe I'm just like a curmudgeon with this shit. But like, I don't really, I'm not excited for an in-season tournament. Like, I just don't really see a way that the players are going to be interested in that. Now, it's not. I was thinking it was going to be like a mid-season tournament. It's really not. It's pretty early on in the season. Like, you know, the season currently starts in late October. They're saying that tournament is going to start in November and the finals are going to be held in December. So they still need to release some more information on how exactly that's going to be structured. But I just don't really see players giving a shit on that, Um, especially if, you know, at least it's not at least the tournament isn't happening in like January and February, because at that point, you know, they've players have played 50 games by that stretch. And that's like the the really high load management period right before the all-star break and players kind of see that vacation coming on their schedule and they're looking forward to it and, and efforts kind of at an all time low. So at least they have it earlier on in the season where hopefully players are healthier and more available and more interested, but I just don't really see a way in which players care, but if they are, are really locked in for it and it, it somehow feels like a playoff atmosphere, then maybe that'll be cool. Um, again, this is the, the, the interesting thing about the in-season tournament is it's not going to be its own standalone event. It's going to be built into the regularly scheduled games. So it's not like they're, you know, now players are going from playing 82 games to like 85 or, or more, depending on how many tournament games they play. I think they did say the teams that make the finals will end up playing an 83rd game, but 
of course, if anything, they're adding more games to the schedule. But it really isn't a big shift. So, again, I think I'm not excited for the in-season tournament. I, you know, I guess it, it can't really hurt, but uh, we'll see how that goes next year. And hopefully we get some more information on exactly, you know, what the structure of that tournament is so we can talk more about it here on the podcast. But I think it's pointless. And I think, hey, I think the, I think the Grizzlies, can I bet on it already? Because, boy, I'd love, I'd love to take Memphis. It just seems like a tournament that Memphis is going to end up winning and then, you know, we'll have John Morant or, you know, insert Grizzlies players sit down with Taylor Rooks part two for them to talk about how fine they are in the Western Conference. I, I think that's their destiny. I think that's that's the title that Memphis is really going to be chasing is that in-season tournament victory. Uh, real last two points on the CBA real quick. Um, you know, they did inc- make the, the luxury tax rules for teams that are, are in the luxury tax a little bit more strict. So, you know, that affects teams like Golden State that have been in that in that threshold for a while now. And they're just trying to add more parity and give – Teams with cheaper owners, a little bit more of a leg up, I guess. But we'll see if that actually makes a big effect on on player signings and things like that. And then the last notable piece, or most notable piece anyway, of the CBA agreement is that they raise the spending limit on player extensions. And so really what that means is that, you know, I gave the example actually last week with Jalen Brown. I think this is the most you know uh, relevant example of how this could come into effect. It was pretty unlikely that it, it is pretty unlikely that Jalen Brown were is to sign an extension because he's basically a in my opinion a, a maximum contract level player but he's on an extension that's that's cheaper than that and so if he were to sign or he's on a contract that's cheaper than that and if he were to sign an extension it would be there'd be a max in place on that extension based on the the base level of his contract so this makes it where you know you can only make like 120 percent of your of your base contract i think they're raising that to like 140 percent so a player like jalen brown is is you know i don't i i think that there'd still be a threshold below them making like an absolute max contract but it gives players like jalen brown who want to sign a a very large extension uh it allows them to make more money and it's not as tied to um, his base contract as it was in, in the previous rules in the CBA agreement. So maybe I did a shitty job of explaining that. I don't really know. But I think it's good news for Celtics fans. I know most of you guys watching this are Celtics fans. That's good. Uh, we'll see if Jalen Brown still wants to wait and see if he makes an All-NBA team. I don't know if I'd have him on my All-NBA all team. I'll have to take a look at that next week. But I know he's close. He's in the conversation. And in that case, he should be eligible for a Supermax either way, which would be great for him. Um, but even if not, hopefully hopefully we, this this allows us, us Celtics fans to get Jalen Brown under contract um, sometime this offseason and we don't have to have this, you know, carry on through next season and into um, unre- unrestricted free agency at the conclusion of next season. So with that, um, that's the new CBA agreement overall. I think it's almost entirely positive change besides the uh, – Besides the season tournament, we'll see how that works out. But let's move on to to the meat and potatoes of the episode, the playoff preview, right? And and kind of what what things should you guys be looking for as we you know have less than a week of basketball left to play? And I should mention there were no games tonight on Monday, so it's a perfect night to record the podcast. Um, so I know all of these standings and and information that I have here is accurate. Um, so let's look onto it. So if you look at the Eastern Conference. It's basically, let's start with the East. It's basically gridlocked, right? Like in terms of the, the non-play-in teams, rather. Like I would say the Bucks are basically locked into the one seed. The Celtics are basically locked into the two. Philadelphia in the three seed. Cleveland in the four seed. Uh, New York Knicks in the five seed. And then the Brooklyn Nets in the six seed. That's basically locked up. Now, there is going to be some jockeying and some potential shift opportunities between the play-in teams because it looks like, you know, Miami's probably going to be at that seven seed. They'll have home court for that first play-in game. And then, 
you know, Atlanta and Toronto and Chicago are, you know, it looks like Atlanta and uh, Toronto are tied record-wise and the Bulls are, are a game behind those two teams. So there could be some jockeying there, but I don't think it's that interesting to follow because it doesn't really matter for shit. Like, that's going to get sorted out in the play-in tournament anyway. So in general, I'm going to be talking mostly about the Western Conference, but that's just because it's it's far more exciting in terms of, you know, the potential scenarios and things that we should be on the lookout for with one week of basketball left to play. So looking on to the West, this is where things get interesting, right? You know, Denver is still locked into that one seed, I would say. You know, Memphis is locked into the two seed. Sacramento's basically locked into the three seed. And Phoenix has separated itself from the pack, and they're basically locked into the four seed. Now, you know, there's probably – that's probably not exactly true, whether that they're locked in or not. But outside of them, those teams basically losing out, I would say in all – in all likelihood, those teams are basically locked in. So again, Denver one, Memphis two, Sacramento three, Phoenix four. So the interesting thing is, you know, the five, six, seven, and eight seeds are all extremely close as well. That's kind of like the next tier of the Western Conference. And in that in that zone, you have the Clippers at five, the Warriors at six, the Lakers at seven, and the Pelicans at eight. Those teams are all within a half game of each other. And this is a point that I wanted to get to because I think it, it could apply in this situation is essentially the idea of jockeying for playoff position and my thoughts on that, right? So basically what that suggests is a team, you know, opting to maybe try to lose its final game or two to alternate, to fall down a seed and get a different playoff matchup. And now I think it should apply in the situation because, as I mentioned, I think Phoenix is locked into the four. Phoenix is scary. Now, Durant is back. Fun fact, they're 6-0 with Durant. Um, obviously, like I touched upon before, they, they haven't had a, faced a ton of top competition in those six games. But who cares, man? They're 6-0 with Kevin Durant. And I think that they're comfortably, you know, if not the top seed in the West, I think that they're right there as the next favorite to actually win the Western Conference. I think them and Denver have separated themselves in a tier on their own as the most likely teams to come out of the West. And they're sitting there at the four seed. If I'm Golden State, if I'm the Clippers, if I'm the Lakers, if I'm the Pelicans, I would so much rather play a team like Memphis or, more importantly, a team like Sacramento than Golden State. And I have zero issue with a team taking a strategic approach to looking at their potential playoff matchup and being like, yeah, man, I like our odds against the Kings better. Sorry, Sacramento. I like our odds against Memphis better. Let's drop this meaningless, you know, game 81 or game 82 against Charlotte. I mean, if you're playing Charlotte shit, you really got to try to lose that game. I don't know if either of the, any of those teams actually have Charlotte on the schedule, but you get the point. You try to lose, uh, you literally try to lose that last game to get better playoff uh, position or a better playoff matchup that you would improve, even if that means lower lowering your seating. Um, and I think that this is, is going to come into effect because the five seed is not desirable whatsoever. And not only that, if you're at the five seed, you're, you're playing, you're most likely playing Phoenix in round one. And then if you win, you're probably playing Denver in round two. Like, your round in the Western Conference, your, your trip to the finals uh, coming out of the West if you're the five seed is is literally the worst position. I'd rather be in, in the play-in game than that, to be to complete, completely honest with you. So, with that, the interesting thing, though, is that, again, I think that that could come into effect. And I should mention that I think this was mentioned a couple weeks ago on Draymond's podcast, Draymond Green of the Warriors on his podcast, he basically was asked or he was speaking about 
um, you know, his opinion on, on it and what playoff matchup they wanted to see. He basically said that he wanted to play against the Kings, but um, he backtracked and gave like an old man answer and said that it was because he wanted, it was like the travel situation because Sacramento's the next closest team. And so I don't know if that's exactly bulletin board material for the Kings. It's like, hey, they, they, they wanted to play us. They think we're weak. It's like, oh, maybe the Warriors are just old and they don't they don't like traveling that much anymore. And, and that clearly shows up in their record. I mean, shit, they're, they're terrible on the road. But whatever. So let's get back to the interesting thing on, on if this jockeying is actually going to happen. Because as much as I think it should happen and teams shouldn't want the five seed, I don't really know if you want to get cute either, right? Because as I was saying, like, you know, the Clippers – and the Warriors are both 41 and 38 at the five seed and the six seed, respectively. And then the Lakers and the Pelicans at the seven and the eight seed, respectively, are both at 40 and 38. So they're all right next to each other. So if you, you know, mess around and try to lose a game in which you should be trying to win, like you intentionally lose a game to avoid being in the five seed, you know, this is really the tiebreakers and everything like that are so close. Like you could drop all the way down to eight and then be in the play in. And again, I did just say I'd rather be in the play in than, than end up at the five seed and have to go through Phoenix and Denver. But, you know, I don't know if a front office is going to have that mindset, right? Like there's a, a different stigma attached to it if you just make the playoffs outright to, you know, if you have to go through a, a play in game. And again, the play in, as much as I'm not, you know, super scared of those teams at the bottom. You know, it's still one game. Anything can happen. A guy could sprain an ankle. You could get, you know, your best player could get in foul trouble. You could get some crap calls. Like, and you could be out uh, and on the outside looking in when, you know, earlier this week you're sitting at the five seed. So as much as I want to avoid the matchup with Phoenix, um, I just, I don't, I don't think you can get cute. I think it's really going to come down to like, even though I'm sitting here and we're only a week away from the end of the regular season, like I can't even look at these matchups and tell you like, okay, I think, you know, the, the Clippers should try to lose this game to drop down because it, it's literally going to come down to the last set of games on Sunday. So uh, that's just something to be mindful of because I, I do think that that's really, really interesting. Uh, and I think that as much as teams should be jockeying to avoid Phoenix in the five seed, who, again, is 6-0 and with Kevin Durant, I just don't know if if any of these teams can go for it. So I just wanted to quickly take a look at those, you know, seeds five through eight in the Western Conference individually um, and take a look at a couple of these teams under a microscope because I think there's some interesting storylines here. First and foremost, you know, the Warriors, who are, again, are currently sitting at the sixth seed, but it's all so tight-knit. Um, they got some big news. They got some big news earlier today, I believe, uh, in that Andrew Wiggins is coming back. So that's huge. Again, um, it was basically announced that I think uh, his father was going through a serious, Andrew Wiggins' father was going through a serious medical condition. So that explains his absence from the team. And again, all the credit in the world to the Warriors for just handling it the right way. You know, I, again, this information wasn't released until today. He had, you know, privacy. Him and his family had privacy. Um, throughout that time, you know, the front office repeatedly just gave statements like, we don't know when he's back. We hope he's doing well. Um, that's really up to him. Like, as much as the media, like, prodded at the absence and, and asked questions each and every day, and, and that's just part of them doing their job, um, the front office kind of remained strong in that. But um, the important thing is that Andrew Wiggins is back, right? And, um, you know, again, I, I can't – I don't know if I'm looking too far into this, and, and I, maybe I'm just drinking the Warriors Kool-Aid or what, but, like – Again, that dude was literally their second best player in the NBA Finals last year. It wasn't Clay, it wasn't Jordan Poole, it wasn't Draymond, it was Andrew Wiggins, who, 
you know, consistently was able to create his own offense more than we had seen, um, you know, in recent memory for Wiggins throughout that series. He rebounded his ass off, and he played really good defense on Jason Tatum. Now, again, they're in a harder situation than last year, and this has just been a worse basketball team than last year. They can't get wins on the road. Um, you know, Poole's been really erratic, and, and you haven't seen enough of a leap from a guy like Jonathan Kaminga or Moses Moody to feel super confident about them, you know, replacing guys in the rotation like uh, Belitza as well as Otto Porter. So it, are they a better team than last year? I don't know, but they have all the talent in the world when they have Andrew Wiggins back. So they're a really competitive team to watch, as I've been saying all year. If they have their guys, it wouldn't surprise me if they make a run. If they end up at the sixth seed and they end up playing the Kings, or if they end up at the seventh seed and they end up playing the Grizzlies, I'm almost certainly taking them in that matchup, but uh, that's as much as I'll say on the Warriors. I just think it's, it's huge news that Wiggins is back because we really didn't know if that was going to be the case. I was about to write them off just because, again, I, I at this point was kind of suspecting that Wiggins wasn't going to come back just because we haven't had an update in so long. But it's great news that he's back. The Warriors really need them, and they are very scary within their own right. Uh, but they are obviously going to be locked in on making the playoffs um, and hopefully avoiding Phoenix, but we'll see how that plays out later this week. But I think, I guess I have a question for you guys, and, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but this is just something that I noticed in the past, you know, couple weeks here um, that I haven't seen many people in, in NBA media talking about, but are the Pelicans having a moment? I don't know. I don't know. I, I kind of think, think the Pels are having a moment. Like, I was watching them the other night, and they had a really awesome win. I was really locked into a game that they had over the Clippers, and Brandon Ingram was just playing awesome basketball, and I had seen some of their games, you know, not in their entirety, but a lot of their games over the past couple weeks here, and I was repeatedly impressed by what I was seeing, so I took a deeper look at the stats today, and they're 7-3 and three in their last 10 games. Again, as I mentioned, they're currently in the eighth seed, but they're, you know, all in that tight-knit group and in the 5-8 through eight group in the Western Conference. Uh, but in that in that last ten uh, game stretch, where again they're seven and three, Brandon Ingram is playing out of his mind. He's averaging thirty eight and six, um, and the rest of the team. I just I just love that team. I love that team. Again, when we were doing the tier rankings, you know, I ended up putting them in the league pass all all stars. And then to be honest with you, after I posted that episode, I was kind of looking back and I was like. I was that was stupid. Like I should have put them in good team, bad vibes. Like the vibes are, are terrible. Like they just they had recently announced that Zion suffered another setback and they didn't know when he was going to play. And you know, again, you're if you're looking at, at the, the peak of their season, like they were at their peak right at the start when they had Zion and they were around the top two seeds in the West and and ever since then, you know, they're they've been hovering around the play in race, like and, and I think they even dropped below that for a time. Um so their vibes are terrible, but like I just, I, I couldn't put them there because I like watching them play and their roster is really good. Like, really, really good. Like, they have like 10 real dudes on that roster. Also in that 10-game stretch, I can't believe it's the first time I mentioned him on the podcast. My guy. My guy, Trey Murphy. Like, super random guy. I know. He's a second-year player. He's a long athletic wing. Um, I think maybe he should be the dunk contest champion because he, he, you know, finished highest out of the NBA players in this year's dunk contest. As you remember, he came in second to Mac McClung, but whatever. Anyway, Trey Murphy, he's averaging 19 points a game and he's shooting 45% from three during that stretch, which basically aligns with his season average as far as the shooting percentage from three. Dude's an absolute sniper. Like... I love Trey Murphy. I, I think at some point I'm going to do like a My Guys episode that'll be like an off-season thing, and I'll try to maybe build like, you know, two lineups of, of guys that I that are just kind of like random underrated players around the league that I love. Like Trey Murphy is the, the team captain for that list because every time I watch him, I'm so impressed by him. He 
He's a two-way player. He's, he's a long, athletic guy. He works his ass off. He's an absolute sniper from three. He's also a freak athlete that can attack the basket. He's a perfect plug-and-play player on any single team in the NBA. And obviously, to go along with him playing really well, his best basketball over the past 10 games, um, Ingram, as I mentioned, has been a, a true star. And you also have guys like C.J. McCollum, um, who brings him a true veteran presence. I absolutely love C.J., uh, like, just the way he carries himself on the court. He can get you a bucket whenever. He's been in big games. He made it to a Western Conference Finals with Portland. Um, he's a perfect, you know, basically a point guard for that team. Like, he, he really is the main creator. I know that they've had Jose Alvarado, who is their kind of, you know, on paper point guard uh, or has been, you know, kind of in and out of the starting lineup earlier in the season. But he's been out for a while. He should be back within a couple weeks. But, again, even without Jose Alvarado, they still have 10 real guys in their roster um, that I think bring a lot to the table. Jonas Valanciunas, so they have size. And I think Joe Val is far and away one of, like, consistently one of the most underrated players in the NBA. He fills up the box score. He, he rebounds the shit out of the basketball. He's got great size. Like, I just love the Pelicans roster. And the crazy thing, and of course the headline, is that they don't have Zion. And, you know, when I did the tier rankings again, I mentioned, like, you know, things with Zion. You know, he had another negative update. You don't know when you're going to bring him back. He's so valuable to the franchise. Like, you probably just shut him down, right? Like, you probably don't bring him back. And Or at least that was my mindset based on where the Pelicans were in the standings and based on the update on Zion at that time. Now I think I'm on the other side. Like, what I, I want to ask you guys, what would you guys do? Would you guys bring Zion back? I think now you do. And I think the reason is this. I think that this team is ready. Now, let me just get out of the way that the reports are that they, they hope to have him back soon. He's, he should be reevaluated this week. They hope to get him back. You know, they said, I think, with a couple games left in the regular season, which should be now, but we, we don't have any updates. Like, they want to get him at least a couple of regular season reps before the playoffs start. But I, that hasn't happened yet, so, so we'll see on that. But I, I, I do. I think you bring him back. And I, I think that, again, my mindset totally shifted on where it was, you know, basically a, a month or two ago or with, even with a couple weeks ago, I would have said you probably just shut him down. I think that the rest of this team is ready. And, you know, they've only made the – if you're looking back in the Pelicans history the past couple years, they've really only made the playoffs once in the past four years, and that was last year. And you look back at last year, a lot of people forget. I mean, they played Phoenix in the first round, but they got a lot of, of attention last year because, again, Phoenix was the top seed in the conference and a, a, basically a lot of people's finals pick and pick to win the entire entire championship. Um, they were certainly one of the best teams in the regular season. And you know, there was a point in that series where it was 2-2 in, in the 1-8 matchup against New Orleans, a team coming out of the play-in tournament that you know was tied against the Suns after four games. Now, obviously, the Suns went on to win in six, but there was some real buzz around the Pelicans at that time, and they didn't have Zion for that series. Like, Brandon Ingram was awesome. CJ was really awesome during that series, and they were just a lot more competitive than people realized. And so, you know, again, a lot of that luster was taken away because, you know, the Phoenix's season was looked at as a disappointment after blowing that Game 7 in Dallas in the next series. Um, but essentially, you know, they had a really impressive run for it only being, you know, not necessarily a run, but they had a really impressive showing in that playoffs. And, Again, Zion wasn't a part of that. Zion has zero playoff experience, and I just think that this organization has sneaky done such a good job at building a competitive roster that is built for the playoffs that if I don't think you can look those guys in the face and, again, if Zion's not ready to play, then he's not ready to play. You don't bring him back. But if, if he's on the border and he can play basketball, and maybe I'm sure it's safer to leave him out, but if he's, if he's good to play, I think you have to do it. I think you have to look at those guys and be like, this is a team that can win. 
And we believe in you guys that you can win. And we're showing you that we believe in you guys by bringing back our best player. Like, you know, he's at, maybe he's at 90%. Maybe he's at 95%. Maybe he's at 80%, whatever. But if he's healthy enough to suit up and there's not some crazy high risk of re-injury, I think you have to bring him back. Like, and especially, again, this they could end up at the 5 seed. They could end up at the 8 seed. They could end up in a really sweet spot at the 6 seed and end up facing Sacramento in the first round. Or they could face Memphis in the first round. And if they have Zion Williamson, I, I genuinely believe that that team could win the series. Now, again, I'm not picking them to come out of the West. I'm not even necessarily picking them to come out of the first round. But, like, again... We, it wasn't like this is we're, we're having to use our imagination on what this team is going to look like with Zion. They were literally this, the second or third seed in the conference when he got hurt in his initial injury earlier in the season. Like, this team's good. And again, they didn't have Brandon Ingram during that stretch. I just really like the Pelicans. I love how they've drafted the past couple years. And I think if you bring Zion back on that team, I think they have as good of a chance as the Clippers. I think they have as good of a chance as the Lakers. Um to, to really make some noise and come out of the West. Like, as we've said, the West is a dumpster fire. And depending on how these matchups shake out, um, I think there's a lot more parity in that conference where I could see, like, a team a team like the Pelicans actually coming out uh, and making some real noise. So uh, let me know what you guys think. Let me know if you'd bring Zion back. If you, you know, I guess the other side of that coin, again, is he's a generational talent. He's more valuable than anybody else they have on that team. When you have a player like that, you play it safe. But I just feel like they've done that before, right? Like, he played, you know, 24 games as a rookie. And then he played 61 his sophomore year where he was awesome and broke all sorts of efficiency and, like, you know, uh, you know, scoring efficiency records and things of that nature. And then he missed all of last season, and he's only played 29 games this season. Like, at some point, I think you just have to, you know, take the take the training wheels off him and just let him ride. Like, put him out there if he's ready to play um, and give him an opportunity to get real playoff minutes and see – Get a real look at what this team looks like in a competitive series. And I think it's about time that you bring Zion back. So with that, that was my Pelicans moment. I hope you guys enjoyed that. And I think I think that, you know, keeping all this in mind as we head into the last week of the regular season, um, I just wanted to highlight some big matchups that I think you guys should be on the lookout for if you're surfing league pass or whatever um, for what I think could be the most appealing matchups, you know, to shake up playoff matchups and just be the most entertaining to watch in this last week of regular season basketball. Uh, first and foremost, I got to shout out my Celtics. Celtics are playing the Sixers uh, tomorrow. Um, you guys, I guess, day of if you guys are watching this on Tuesday. Uh, the Celtics play in Philadelphia on Tuesday. Um, obviously, I don't. I think at this point, I don't think Philly's going to catch the Celtics. And I think even if the Celtics win this, I don't think that they catch the Bucks. And it's going to require the Bucks to basically lose out or at least win, uh, lose two out of the the three or four games that they have left. So I'm not saying if the Celtics win that they catch. Milwaukee, but I just think that Celtics Sixers is, is going to be awesome. I think it's going to be a fun series. I think it's likely going to be a second round 2-3 matchup between these teams, so it could be a, p- a potential playoff preview, um, and it's always really entertaining when those teams face off each other. So Celtics at Sixers on Tuesday, um, and then I think possibly the most exciting matchup of the entire week is going to be Lakers at Clippers. Again, I've said it, um, they're in that, they're both in that super close range of, of playoff jockeying position. Again, it's Lakers at Clippers for what it's worth, but obviously, you know, they're, they're playing it in crypto. Uh, so both teams should have a lot of fans present for it. That's going to be a lot of fun, um, uh, to have, you know, a, a, a true playoff atmosphere around it, especially because it's earlier in the week. So these teams aren't even at the jockeying standpoint yet. Like I was saying, like, they're definitely going to be going 110%. Uh, you know, LeBron's going to be is, is back out there. He's obviously back for the Lakers. Uh, still no Paul George. I don't think there's any chance that he returns for that. But it will be interesting to see Lakers at Clippers on Wednesday. 
You have the Grizzlies at the Pelicans on Wednesday as well. I think that that is, is pretty interesting because that's very likely to be, um, you know, a, a potential playoff matchup. If, if New Orleans ends up getting the seven seed, um, they'll likely face Memphis. And again, if the Pelicans end up at the seven seed and Zion Williamson is playing basketball, I'm taking the Pelicans to beat the Grizzlies in the first round. You can, you can book that. We'll see if it ends up even happening, but that would, I would, I would not be shy to pick the Pelicans in that matchup with a healthy Zion. So potential playoff preview matchup and has some seeding implications as well. Grizzlies at Pelicans on Wednesday. Uh, you have Warriors at Kings on Friday. I think that that is going to be really interesting. Maybe you start to see some of the jockeying there if the Warriors just kind of let the Kings have it. Or if the Warriors, again, this could be a first-round matchup. This is you know could easily be the 3-6 matchup. So you could get a look at, at two teams that could be seeing each other in, in just a couple days after this. So that's a lot of fun. Um, so Warriors at Kings on Friday. And then Pelicans at Wolves on Sunday. I haven't talked about the Wolves too much. I actually meant to do that. Let's talk about the Wolves real quick. Um, you know, I, w- I tweeted about this because I really, I feel like a fool right now because earlier in the week I actually had a moment where I, I, I wouldn't say I believed in the Wolves, but they, they had my attention. You know, I think they won their first two games with Towns back, and they actually looked really impressive, and they were kind of big wins. And so I was, I was actually thinking I was going to go as far as to have my buddy Garrett on. I don't know if Garrett's listening to this now, but I was going to, I was really close to sending him a text to see if he wanted to come on this week because, uh, you know, this is obviously the last podcast before the playoffs and everything like that. So I had some flexibility, and I was like, maybe we'll talk some Wolves. And so I was really locked into the Phoenix game. I think it was on Wednesday. And I was like, all right, the Wolves win this. I'm going to text Garrett. We'll, we'll get our Wolves talk going. And they ended up losing the game. Now, I didn't give them too much shit for it because it was a pretty competitive game, but it was the same old story. There were some bad fouls from Cat down the stretch and some questionable decisions that were made on, on behalf of the Wolves that kind of cost them the game. But, you know, there's no shame in losing to a team like Phoenix. So I was like, whatever. And, you know, they ended up losing Nas Reed in that game, who's been their backup big man all year, um, who's, you know, really been one of their most important players, especially with the absence of Carl Anthony Towns for most of the season. Uh, you know, he's been awesome for them and they lose him, but again, they have, you know, two of their three best players supposedly are, are centers. So you'd think that they'd be fine to lose a backup big and still have enough horses to finish the regular season strong. And then they end up losing two more games after that Phoenix loss, including a loss. Uh, I want to say yesterday to Portland. That was just absolutely a, a terrible loss. Like, it wasn't quite on the level of, of Dallas's loss, first loss against the Hornets last week, but you know essentially they lost to a Blazers team that was was essentially what I defined on Twitter as the who he play for all stars. Like they were totally depleted. Like no Dame, no Simons, no Jeremy Grant. Like it was literally Shaden Sharp and a bunch of other guys out there. Like they had uh, Kevin Knox was a, a big <laughs> important player for. Uh, for Portland, which tells you all you need to know. Uh, and the Wolves lost a game at home where they were, I think, like 19.5-point favorites or something ridiculous. Uh, and they lost to a, a Portland team that literally is not trying to win. They're trying to lower their draft stock and increase their chances at landing a uh, high lottery pick and potentially grabbing Wembenyama. And the Wolves really needed to win um, to get into that. You know, they would have been in addition to that group it, instead of it being like, you know, the five through eight seeds really close. Um, I think, uh, you know, Minnesota would be right there. Um, as a, a, a fifth team in that group that could be competing for even a five seed. So they really blew it there. They'll still almost certainly be in that last two playing spots in the West, along with Oklahoma City, who I haven't mentioned yet. But I do think the Pelicans at Wolves matchups for two teams that are in the play-in right now, um, that, that game is on Sunday, and so that's really interesting as well. And then the final matchup that I wanted to highlight is Clippers at Suns on Sunday. 
Um, it, as things currently stand, um, the Clippers are the five seed. They are the team that is slated to play against Phoenix if the playoffs started today. Um, so that would be a potential 4-5 matchup that we would get essentially a little preview for, a little appetizer for in the last day of the regular season now. Phoenix, I guess I might, maybe I should take it off this list because Phoenix could be resting its guys because they should be locked into the four by that point. But it would be cool to see two teams that you know play each other on the last game of the regular season and then immediately play in the first round. So, again, Celtics Sixers on Tuesday, Lakers Clippers on Wednesday, Grizzlies Pelicans on Wednesday as well. Uh, Warriors Kings on Friday, and then Pels Wolves and Clippers Suns both on Sunday are the matchups that I think you guys should be locked in for this week. So with that, I know relatively short episode today, but I think we touched upon all the big stories. Uh, just to put a bow on it, I'm excited about the new CBA for as nerdy as that sounds. I'm really excited to see how things shake out, uh, especially in the West. And I'm excited to watch my Celtics kick the, the Sixers ass tomorrow as well as a little cherry on top of what should be a really fun week of NBA basketball. So uh, with that, guys, I'm going to hit this button and get up out of here. Uh, before I do, want to remind you guys again, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate each and every one of you guys that listens to this via podcast, listens to it on YouTube, Facebook, wherever. Uh, I definitely appreciate it. So be sure to follow me if you don't already at Words with Wallace. We're really trying to build this thing up at Words with Wallace on everything. Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, um, all that stuff. You know, definitely follow me there. Uh, rate the show, share the show, tell a friend, all that good stuff. We will be back next week. Uh, we'll be doing a deeper dive on the playoff preview. I'll be giving my picks uh, for all the major awards, the All-NBA teams, and I'm really excited about that. Should be a long episode, should be a fun episode, um, and then we'll be on the home stretch toward the NBA playoffs. So uh, I'm going to hit this button, get up out of here, and I will talk to you guys next week. Hey.